When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is January 19th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome into Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. I hope you guys are having a great, great week. Uh, last night, obviously, Bruins played the Islanders. I don't know the score yet. And Connor and I, uh, who was on today's episode, we prefaced that uh, <laughs> we recorded it before the game. So obviously, we don't know the results. But um, on this episode, Connor and I do- dove into sort of uh, what's wrong with the Bruins. And then we get into what's right. And what's right. And we sort of went back and forth on each thing and how the Bruins can fix their issues, which again, only two games into the season, or at least we were basing off uh, our podcast with, uh, basing our podcast off of two games. Uh, so obviously there will be a third when you listen to it. Maybe you listen to it later in the week and there's a fourth. Uh, maybe you're listening three weeks from now and there's a bunch. So we're just basing it off the two games against the Devils, which had their bad parts and their good parts. And we discussed both. Um, and it was, again, just fun to have games to talk about again. This is the first podcast we've had games to talk about since, like, September. Um, so uh, we will take that. You will take that. Everyone will take that. Um, before we get into the episode, go subscribe to Bruins Ringside on YouTube. Maybe you're watching this um, or you will watch this on Bruins Ringside on YouTube. Uh, but we have everything over there. Analysis videos, uh, player interviews, pressers, podcasts, everything. And we're going to start doing live podcasts. We're going to start doing live post game shows. We're start doing a lot of stuff over there and we'll, I'd love to have you over there. Um and come hang out and do some brewing stuff. It'll be fun. Um and then also before we get into the episode, uh, are you ready for some intense ass football? Uh NFL right now, conference championship time upcoming this weekend. You have the you have the Buccaneers with Tom Brady, you have the the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and then the other side you have the Chiefs and you have the Bills. And it is interesting. It is fun. And there's only one place that has you covered for that and one place that I trust, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code to CLNS50 for your 50% welcome bonus. Also, hockey. <laughs> Hockey's back, as you can tell. Go bet on hockey. There's a lot of fun futures bets. There's a lot of good uh, just day-to-day bets and betting on the games. Go do that. It makes the game so much more fun when you have a stake in it. And don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Connor Ryan. And we're here with Connor Ryan. Connor, what is up? Evan, I'm doing very well. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. It's a Monday morning. Uh, I want to preface the show by saying this. There is a game Monday night against the Islanders that we will have not seen. We recorded this prior to the game. So this happened to us quite a bit last year yes. where we would talk before a game, talk about all these issues, and that night those issues would you know, seemingly be fixed. And then people would be listening to a show that was on uh, issues that were already fixed. So I would like to preface that by saying we're going to go over some issues after the first two games against the Devils. And somehow, by hook or crook, the Bruins are going to score like eight five-on-five goals against the Islanders on Monday As expected. Night. As expected. Um, but nevertheless, I'm pumped. I'm just happy to have hockey back. Um, and by the way, for people who are watching on YouTube, I have a cut on my finger. Oh, what happened? Through it. I don't know. I was I was getting ready this morning, and all of a sudden, there was this like blood on my phone, and I was like, "What?" And I looked at my thumb, and it was there was a cut. I don't know what happened to it, but I cut my finger, and I'm here. So great. So fighting through it. Day to day decision. Andre Kasha, Andre Kasha, with this would be out for like a month. That's I'm here playing. By the way, we'll get into that in a little bit. We'll start actually um, with the Bruins' lack of five on five scoring. So through two games, six periods, tie. Anderson tweeted out the exact minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> of the two games, which is always fun because mm-hmm. it makes it seem way worse. Um, they have zero five on five goals. And we both touted how deep this team was offensively to start after two games. Obviously, you have Pasta injured. You have Craig Smith injured. You have Andre Kasha injured. Now, Craig Smith will be playing on Monday night, or he's at least expected to. Um, what is wrong five on five? What aren't they doing? Uh, I just think they're mostly not keeping it simple and doing just the basic things that generates consistent five on five scoring. Cause again, we could also look into as much as people hop on the fancy stats and it's like expected goals don't mean shit. Well, they're not even doing that either. They're not even like generating these looks like you're not even seeing in these games. Um, you know, it'd be one thing if they weren't, if they were snake bit, but they're, you know, Blackwood in those two games was making some crazy saves or they had breakaways or chances right out in front. You really didn't see that. Like the pucks were either being fired in from deep and they were getting blocked or turned aside. There weren't guys down low to kind of bury any of those second chances. Like you're not even seeing those things, which are just the basic things that, um, that, you know, lead to grade eight chances and goals. You're not seeing any of that right now. So I think for the Bruins, it's just about, you know, keeping things simple. It, it, it's the stuff that, we're going to talk about it. It's going to be the stuff that anyone listen to. And it's going to be like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. That's how you get goal scoring, but it's what they need to do. Right. Like it's, you can go low to high as much as you want, but if you don't have guys down low to convert on those chances, you're not getting anything. And I think a lot of that has more to do with the fact that a lot of the guys who you're expecting to, you know, add that added depth in scoring, like at the broad score Buick have been pretty much invisible this whole time. Like, We'll wait to see what happens with Craig Smith. I mean, I'm not going to judge him off of one game. And unfortunately, it seems like it's going to be something where he's going to be fighting through a little bit of a nagging injury right now, which is not ideal, right, for a guy who I think was viewed as a big five-on-five weapon for your team. But um, I think it a lot of it lies on, you know, guys like DeBrusque of just you got to get down low and, and at least have the goalie react to you down there. You can't just be invisible for most of those two games and expect this five and five offense to, to get rolling. So I think that's the most troubling thing is that it's not just the fact that, you know, they're getting these quality looks and, you know, the, the numbers just aren't going their way. It's the fact that there's no numbers to speak of, right? There's no high danger chances you're seeing getting generated at all. That's the thing. And I, and I also think it's sort of that low to high thing. I remember last year 
you know, the Bruins spoke about after they played the Hurricanes, oh, we need to go more high to low or, or low to high. And what always kind of got me was like, you don't have the caliber defense from the Hurricanes do. Like, you know, you've Dougie Hamilton and Slavin and, you know, you have all those guys down there. Jeremy Lozon, how many shots has he gotten blocked in the first two games? Like, you're expecting the wrong guys to get these shots through. Like, Mm -hmm. for a guy like Jeremy Lozon, who's playing top four minutes, and for the first time in his career, you know, playing with McAvoy on the top pairing or whatever, you, you know, you're already putting a lot on his plate. Mm -hmm. Getting, adding the, getting the shots through, you know, should be simple, but for a guy like him, it does, it doesn't seem to be. Now, again, he might score three goals tonight. Who knows? Um, but, I do think it's the, it's the lack of high danger chances. And as you mentioned, DeBrusque is invisible. Anders Bjork was invisible. Craig Smith really didn't do much in the one game he was there. Your best five on five or, you know, your best uh, producer of offense thus far on five on five is Nick Ritchie. Yeah. <laughs> he had the goal technically. It got and tipped where, in. And, 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 and where was he on one? His, the power play goal, which is, you know, which is like a mop up goal pretty much. But where was he there? And where was he on that goal that got turned back? Like, he was, like, in front screening and tipped exactly. it past. That's why, like, Nick, I, I get the Nick Ritchie hate. I, I'm with you there. I, I think he he's slow. Don't give him the puck in transition. You see it time and time again. They give it to him at the red line, and it's, like, just nothing. But he does his job. In the offensive zone, he's been getting to the front of the net. He's looking for tips. Um, he's giving you that. So you can't hate that. The problem is with DeBrusque. The problem is with Bjork. Um, but, again... You know, why are the Bruins 1-0-1? Because of the veteran leadership. Bergeron, Marshawn, Rask. They're your three. Right there. Mm-hmm. That is why uh, the Bruins are 1-0-1. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm curious. Another young guy that, that had a tough start and will be back in the lineup Monday against the Islanders, uh, but, you know, obviously was in game one, out game two. I had very high expectations for him, so I'm hoping – Two of my biggest predictions were DeBrus going to lead the Bruins in goals and Sednika is going to play his way into a lineup spot. Both of those things look very not promising. I hope you didn't bet on those. Um, I even added Sednika to my fantasy team. I dropped him. I dropped him. I pulled the plug, but I had to do it because I wanted to get someone else in there who was going to guarantee me points. Um, but at any rate, Sednika comes out in game one, pretty irrelevant uh, alongside Marshall Bergeron, not there in game two. It, <sighs> Bruce Cassidy is a lot of things and he does a lot of good things. But one thing he's never really good at is letting guys get comfortable. It's like you have to score or do something big in your first couple shifts or you're off. And I get it. You know, you know, he's trying to find, he's trying to mix and match, find the right things, but kicking Stanika out after a game, uh, I don't think that's the best move. Yeah. I I think it's, it's one of those ones where he's got to have to balance. I think that, you know, his, Willingness to switch up the lines is kind of going to be magnified this year, especially just on the fact that they need to start, you know, collecting points in a hurry. They can't have, you know, if Sydney is struggling in that role for four or five games, they have to pull the plug, do it after one game. That seems rather drastic. And, you know, I think that's also more or less a byproduct of one, his thinking going into that second game against Jersey is like, all right, Sydney like needs to still have kind of that reality check of like, you know, we're, opening you or starting you on that top line, but you're not guaranteed the spot. But also I think, you know, I think Bjork played well in that first game. So he was going to warrant another look. And I don't know how it would have helped a guy like Frederick to get pulled out of the lineup when he's been probably their most promising 
forward, I would say, through the first biggest two games. So, biggest bright yeah. spot. Yeah, so you weren't going to take him out. You weren't going to, I don't think, take Bjork out after how we looked in, in game one, which I thought was pretty good. So it, it makes sense that, you know, if you had a chance to pull out Seneca for a game and give him kind of that reality check of like, all right, you're, you know, you're not guaranteed that spot, I could see it. It's just hopefully it's not like a situation where, uh, you know, we talk about this a little bit later on where they play the Islanders Monday night and there's two, three shits where they have nothing going in the ozone. And then it's, it's a uh, Smith up on the top line, right? Like we have yeah. to at least see some traction being gained in, especially in in-game settings. Like if you want to go game to game, maybe reevaluate. Uh, yeah, I could see that, but if it's, you know, two, three shifts with Bergeron and Mashi and Sonika's then just buried, then all right. You have to, you have to see what you got because as much as he's a rookie, as much as he's going to have those challenges, Sonika still gives you more of a offensive ceiling than a lot of these other guys. I mean, we saw up in the Toronto bubble as much as maybe he didn't lead to quality, as much as he didn't lead to points on the board, but to a whole lot of good five on five chances, right? Like that's kind of what he did up in Toronto. So hopefully they kind of keep with him in these in-game settings when he's cleared to play, because I think at the very least, he's going to bring you at least some quality looks, which if you're playing with Bergeron and Machin, usually means you're going to end up with at least a couple of great A chances. You do wonder if Stadika is better with Krejci. And I think that was something we saw in the bubble a lot, uh, was he was very good with Coyle and he was really good with Krejci and, and DeBrusque. And I think that's something that, that, you know, you're going to see Monday night against the Islanders. You already saw it. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't work. We're kind of going in the future here. Um, Sucks at a games on a Monday night. That, yeah. That's why I love recording on Mondays because there's never games Monday nights. Um, but at any rate, uh, I do think that, you know, for a guy like Sidnika, you do need that consistency. He needs time. Again, no preseason. I get it. no one had preseason, but for a guy like Sidnika, Sidnika needs preseason. Give him some time. And I think my prediction might come true. The other one, obviously we mentioned a little bit is DeBrusque. Now DeBrusque is slated to be on the top line on Monday night. Um, I don't think that's permanent. It definitely no. isn't permanent. Um, Playing off the have, off wing either. I don't think yeah, it's easy I, to conducive to that, but I think they are trying to do anything they possibly can to get this guy to be to produce, and that's an issue. That's a big issue. Um, I I don't know. DeBrusque was super inconsistent last year. You know, again, it's two games. Again, it's two games. They had no preseason. Their guys around the league are going to take time to ingratiate into things, but. Like, I don't, I didn't, I found myself like not noticing DeBrusque no. in games. And that to me is the biggest issue. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, even in games where he was off last year, you'd at least see a few games where at least he was active on the four check or at least, again, where does DeBrusque get all of his goals from? It's usually in tight. It's tipping, tipping shots. It's, it's doing the stuff that a guy who's a 20 plus goal scorer consistently does year after year. And you're not even really seeing that so far. So. Um, for the Bruins, I mean, they've talked multiple times this off season, this camp about how, all right, DeBrusque, it's year four, you know, you, we need you to be more of a consistent guy out there. And, you know, you just can't have a situation like these two games, especially where you don't have pasta. We don't know what's going on with Kasha right now, which you have to be concerned about with him based on the amount of concussions he's had. And that's what sure seemed like it was in that game on, on Saturday. So, um, you need, another guy outside of that top line to produce five on five and DeBrusque is usually the the most fitting candidate for it. But again, you, you can't have games like that where, I mean, he's pretty much invisible. Like when uh, you're overshadowed by guys like Frederick or Richie or stuff like that, it's good for the Bruins in terms of their depth. But when a guy you were expecting to score 
you know, not, not 20 goals in a shortened season like that, but over the course of an 82 game season, 20 plus goals, you can't have kind of no shows like that. That's exactly it. And that's, that's the issue. And so before we get, we're, I promise we'll get into good stuff. We'll get into positives <laughs> from the first couple games. I promise. But I have to ask based off what you've seen, are they a playoff team? Because, because again, now I projected them second. You did the same. Uh, I think on paper, they're the second best team in, uh, in the East, but the Caps look pretty good through three games. The Flyers obviously look good. The Bruins, same five on five issues. You have injuries down the right side. The goaltending can't steal you. You know, the shorthand, you're not going to get power play goals every game. You're not going to get shorthanded goals every game. Rask and Halak are not going to be amazing every game. Are they a play, from what you've seen, are they a playoff team? Yeah, I still think they're a playoff team. I mean, I, I think even with some of these struggles, I think you're still seeing, uh, you know, they still just took things out on defense. But I think you look at Lozon, who was so-so in game one, but looked, I think, much better on Saturday. You look at Zaboral, who I think has been pretty good for what his role has been. Yes. Um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Frederick looked good. The fourth line looks great, which is a step in the right direction from last year. Power play, they went 0-4 on, on Saturday, but it got two on, on Thursday. PK looks good. Uh, again, I think once you get Poster back, it helps out quite a bit. Again, it's not like, you know, the, you can't put a whole bandaid on your scoring just with Pasta coming back, but you still hope it's just two games. We'll take the David Krejci route, which is what he said yesterday. He was like, I'm not worried about it. It's two games. So again, you have to get more consistent five on five scoring because, uh, if you have the same top heavy, uh, scoring output at five on five, then you're not going to go far in the in the playoffs. Because as much as I think people want to talk about, you know, what what do people talk about when it comes to how they've come up short in the playoffs the last couple of years? It's going to be goalie situation for some reason because people still point out Rask in Game Seven against the Blues. They talk about Rask leaving last year. They talk about you know the they're too small and get bullied around. Look at the last few times they've been bounced out of the playoffs. They got. Uh, Knocked around at five on five against St. Louis. I think they were outscored fourteen to four at five on five. In St. Yes, Louis. and and the top line did not produce. Did not produce series. at all. Your 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 highest scoring five on five forwards in seven games against the Blues was Sean Crowley and Joakim Nordstrom with five yes. and three points. Oh, apiece. that's right. So, and as soon as Ryan O'Reilly's line tilted tilted the ice in their favor against the Bergeron line, you were screwed. So people forget that. That's how they lost that that one. And then last year, I think they were outscored again. I think it was. I think they only had four or five and five goals against Tampa. Like, you're not going to beat Tampa if you're not evening the ice in a majority of your time out there, right? It's five and five play. It's even strength play. It's not a specialized part of the, the game where you're able to tilt the ice significantly in your favor elsewhere. So um, it's it's been a flaw of this team for years now, and it's usually what has ended up dooming them in the playoffs. They have to get better. But I'm not going to overreact after two games. Who knows after if they lose to the Islanders like 5-1 <laughs> Later today, then we might have some issues, but I still think they've got enough talent on this team. We've got enough guys who should be better. Um, that I still think are at very least a playoff team, and I still think they're going to be, you know, two, three seed when you look at how they are in the East. I think they're a playoff team. I just have my doubts about if they finish second. I think that there's a good chance they finish third or fourth. I think there's a good chance they're fighting for a playoff spot or fighting mm-hmm. to stay in one late. I mean, again, we haven't experienced that here since 16, 17, I think. Uh, where they're like fighting to keep a spot. I mean, the past couple of years, they just kind of coast in the last month just because they, they have a spot. Last year, they were President's Trophy winners. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised because again, 
if if you can't get the five on five scoring, if if the lines behind Bergeron are not producing, if your only output is power play and Marshawn and Bergeron on a penalty kill, again, it's only two games, but you can't win that way. You cannot win in, a, in the playoffs that way. You can't win long term that way. And again, I think at some point when Andre Kasha comes back, he might score a goal. Maybe. Hopefully. Maybe. One of these days. Um, but I do think that, uh, that there are some, there are some things that need to, but again, also there's no preseason games. They have short training camp. I guarantee you'll see them playing better hockey in a, in a week or two. I, I also think too, you look at a guy like even Zavoral who looks, I think, good, but also I think someone mentioned on Twitter, like he's also been playing in Europe. Like there, I think you're seeing a lot of these guys who've been overseas, who've been playing, who look just noticeably shoppa in terms of how they play. So I think that factors into it. I, you know, I give it, it's, it's tough to like view everything from the lens of like a four or five game sample to get a full measure of a team or at least see when to start really evaluating them when it's a or a two game sample. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's tough doing that when it's a 50 game, 56 game schedule and like every point matters. But I think you need to give them at least, you know, a week or two to see how they kind of uh, get into a rhythm here. Cause it, you know, Cassie said today that the whole league seems pretty wide open in terms of defense has been kind of uh, defense optional and goalies haven't really been shopped to open up the air. So hasn't been the case for the Bruins, obviously, but uh, I think you're going to need to see a few of these teams have some more time to get into the swing of things. I saw someone tweet, they were like, you know, every, every game and it's like, you know, bad goals tending, lots of offense, you know, no defense, and, and then the goals. And then the Bruins and the Devils, like, oh, we're going to play really tight, like yeah. hockey and no, no one's going to get any goals. Um, and that was sort like, of the it's case. like playing against like a Guy Boucher team. It's just like yes. the most uneventful hockey ever. Have fun with the Islanders. I hope you guys had fun with the Islanders on Monday. Yeah, uh, exactly. but at any rate, they need, they need to play a high flying. You need to play, get the Bruins with the Rangers right now. That's what they need. They need yeah. to play the Rangers. Um, but let's get into some good. So you mentioned Zaboral. I think Jacob Zaboral was, was a very nice bright spot in the first uh, two games. Looked good. Again, I, you know, and Cassidy said this before the season, Jacob Zaboral does not need to come in here and play like a, the 13th overall pick and change the defense. Yeah. All he needs to do is just be somewhat sound defensively, figure out what you can and can't do and just get the puck in the hands of everybody else. And that's what he did. And he was good at it. He was fine on his right side. Kevin Miller, you know, again, Kevin Miller looked really good through two games. And again, I think a lot of these guys who we had such low expectations for looked good because I think maybe our expectations were extremely low, but I also think they look good. I I, I genuinely think Zaboral looked pretty good. I think Kevin Miller looked really good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he had the big hits. He had the fight. We did a video on why the fight really didn't matter. So you can go watch that if you'd like. Um, But I think it's pretty obvious it didn't matter. Um, Trent Frederick was, was, was really good in the first two games. Um, he's like a more controlled Sean Corrali. Um, yeah. since that he's just chaos. He's complete chaos, mm-hmm. but he's c- much more controlled chaos. And I, actually, I have a question for you. Do you think Frederick's ever going to be a, you know, get off the fourth or third line? Do you think there's ever a chance he's like on the top two lines ever? I don't. I don't think so. I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. You could look at a guy like Brad Marchand. Is he going to be Brad Marchand? No. Like, I don't think if maybe he becomes Trent like Frederick a, is the next Brad Marchand. Maybe, you maybe, said it. Nope. Like, you said it. Yeah. Maybe he becomes like a, like a Richie where it could be like a top six guy of just being a guy who, you know, knocks in those, those pucks from grade A ice. But, um, no, I, I feel like he's more of a ceiling as a, a third, fourth line guy. Now, can it be a, a very, very good bottom six guy? Like, yeah, he could be a guy who could get you know, 25, 30 points regularly, kind of like a, a Sean Corrales, who I think is a, you know, a four, fourth line plus guy, right? I think Sean Corrales is a very good guy in your fourth line in terms of what he brings you. So I think if you have, um, 
I think if you have uh, Frederick in that role, it helps out your fourth line quite a bit. And I think you've seen that so far. I mean, it seems like everyone knows what Trent Frederick does well, right? He can beat the bag out of guys. He can, uh, you know, he's physical. He's more than happy to uh, mix things up after the whistle. But is he going to score? Is he going to do anything outside of beating, beating the shit out of guys? Which is, I think, the biggest concern, right? Because <laughs> – you can't you can't field a fourth line, especially how the Bruins like their fourth line, where they can negate other teams um, with a guy who just wants to beat the shit out of you the entire time. As much as I'm sure hockey guys from yesteryear, yeah, love that. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. It's not going to help you when the other teams you know, Ovechkin's rifling one time as past <laughs> Raz while you're trying to scrap with Tom Wilson. So, um, but no, I think he's looked good. He looks like he's you know rounded out his game overall. I think he's skating better. Um, he's definitely, you know, added some weight. He had that, you know, that rush where he fought off the guy, still managed to get, uh, that, that pass through the slot that, uh, didn't connect, but it still was a good chance for that fourth line. Uh, shot looks a lot better, almost scored late in that game. which Yeah, he did. Um, So, I mean, no, he looks good. I mean, is he, are you going to expect him to get bumped up higher in the lineup? I wouldn't say so for this year, but if he can be, uh, an advanced, you know, reliable fourth line guy, like even like a a Chari with maybe a little bit more offensive uh, pop, then I think you'd be happy with what he'd bring you this year. Cause you just need to get that fourth line rolling. And so far they haven't been a liability again. Let's see what happens when they play against more, you know, daunting top six opponents like Cal Palmieri's good. Jack Hughes should be a lot better this year, but they're not, you know, you're not playing against Panarin and Zvinajad or, or Ovechkin's line, or you know Crosby, Malkin, or any, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But so far, their turns have been pretty good. Yeah, no, it was good. I, I thought they were great. The fourth line was the best line in both games, uh, five on five. Uh, but Frederick, it's funny. I, he really does. He does like just mix it up. I mean, Frederick is someone who Bruins fans are going to love. Um, you know, his presser on Sunday where. You know, he's like, I can't wait to mix it up with all eight, with all, uh, seven other teams. And, you know, he, it's, I, it's always a good sign when someone's honest. And yeah. it felt like when he was asked about the, the beef with Subban, like he really, he answered honestly. He, he enjoyed, but he enjoyed it. He kind of likes stoking the, poking the, yeah. poking the flames. He yeah. likes standing up for teammates. So I think that is going to be something that's really interesting and really fun to watch throughout the, throughout the year. Um, we, I was saying in the video post game on, uh, Saturday, the Bruins really don't have any agitators. They have people who stand up to agitators, but they don't have anyone who, you know, really pokes other, pokes the bear, so to speak, of other teams. Um, but he's the, he could be that guy. I just don't, you know, he's on the fourth line, so I figure they're going to do it anyways, but maybe he does it more. I can't wait to see him in a playoff series oh, when yeah. he's against another team, you know, potentially seven straight times, and he's getting under the skin of whoever the Bruins mm-hmm. play. Would have been great in those Maple Leaf series with Nazem Kadri and, yeah. Uh, and that would have been very, very exciting to watch. But uh, Frederick has looked great. Another person who's looked great, the goalies. Tuka Rask, Yaroslav Halak. People are probably in their car listening. Like, it took them all this time to mention how good they were. But it's kind of, we expected it. No one was, like, surprised uh, by any of this. Rask, uh, I think, you know, is the more encouraging one, considering, you know, he's the starter. Mm-hmm. And what... It's funny when, when I was watching the games this weekend and I saw Matt Kalman write this, you know, the Bruins now have to sign Rask. And I agree. I, I think they, they have to re-sign Rask. I think the number one reason you do is Swayman and Vladar aren't ready. Yeah. But they're not. And so like it, Rask has to come back. Rask actually has to come back 
because, you know, you can, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Jordan Bennington took a team to the cup and Anton Hudobin took a team to the cup and, you know, all these fringe starters, young guys, guys out of nowhere taking teams to cups. That's all well and good. But the probability of that, that you're going to hit on the guy who gets hot is so small. Why not stick with the probability of the guy who is elite and has a good track record of going to the cup final? Yeah, and I, I think that's also a thing is consistency. Like, I mean, of course, yeah, Jordan didn't help them win a cup, but also what happened the next year where he shit his pants against Vancouver and how's it looking so far? Where oh they were getting God. absolutely lit up. Um, so, and Krug on all those defensive draws. Yeah. I'm, yeah. We can talk about that another time, I guess, once we have a, a longer sample size, but like Craig Ruby's putting like crate, uh, Krug in, you know, only 20% ozone face-offs. It's just negligence on knowing what the player's good at. Like, that's like, what are you doing? You idiot. Like, why, why are you putting him in a role like that? Where listen, we, I, we all love Tory Krug's game, but we also, I think the Bruins are well aware of how you can best make do with his, his abilities and account for some of the flaws in his game. If Greg Burby's just having him on the PK or having him doing D zone draws, like you get what's coming to you. If you think that was the expectation going into it. So um, anyway, after I, after my rant with the blues and Jordan Bennington, who sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it makes so much sense for the Bruins and it's just, you map out just their, their plan and net and it's just, you know, Swayman of Ladar just aren't ready yet. And as much as, both those guys should hopefully be in a spot where um, they can get some reps down in Providence. Let's be frank. Like it's a 20 game, 20 plus game AHL season. They're not going to get the workload that they both need, especially Alex Swayman to all of a sudden be ready for training camp next year to make a push for the NHL roster. Right. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool, but it's not going to happen. Like Jeremy Swayman's a fantastic goalie prospect, but 20, 20 games in the NHL, which probably is going to end up being what? 10, 15 for him, all in considered. It's not going to be enough to make that adjustment up to the pro ranks because um, we've seen plenty of goalies come from college who look fantastic and then they just kind of don't really can't adjust to it. Not saying Swimman's in that boat, but you need to see what these guys do in the pro level before just dropping them in the NHL. Exactly. Zane McIntyre, the number exactly. one name I thought of there. Um, but yeah, I, I think Rask has been great. Um, I don't think that's going to be a issue at all. And that's, that's one thing that I think, uh, Bruins fans have become so comfortable with for the last, what, since 06, you haven't had to worry about the goalie. Mm-hmm. Like that's ridiculous. That's absurd. You and your, and, and for all you Bruins fans from 2006 or 2005, even I think, uh, to now you've never had to go, Oh, I don't trust the starting goalie. Now, some of you have said that about Rask, but you don't worry about him in the regular season. And I don't know why you worry about him in the postseason, but that's a whole other thing for a whole other day. Um, but you haven't had to worry. About, you know, you, you're not these teams who can't find someone consistent in net. I mean, you, you know, you don't have two sucks. You have two yeah. good, goods, greats, whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, but I, I just, I think it's, you know, I, I think people, most, you know, the anti-Rask people, I don't think have realized yet that Rask is up, uh, at the end of this year, or maybe they haven't, haven't said anything on Twitter yet, mm-hmm. but you know, you know, when that bad game comes, cause it always does and for every goalie and they can't resign him. They got to find someone else. And mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't taken a look at the goalie free agents for this off season yet. Um, that's probably a video we'll do later on as the season. Jordan Bennington, baby. Is Jordan Bennington a free agent? Is he an RFA? 
He's probably think. an RFA, I would think, because just because of his age. Yeah, I think he's an RFA. Give me one second. Send it. Send it. You know what? The Bruins will send him a uh, an offer sheet. That'd really. Mm, oh no, he'd be a UFA. He'd be he's, he's an expiry UFA. status UFA. Okay, that's right. Good they did deal. sign him. They yeah. signed him to an. They signed him to a deal after uh, he won the cup, and they kind of overpaid for him. But that's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't think the goaltending crop is anything crazy for the free agents. Maybe it is, and I just haven't seen it yet. And people are yelling mm-hmm. at their cars right now. Um, but uh, I, I don't think nothing's beating Rask. Nothing is better than Rask, uh, and I don't expect Rask to ask for more than what he's getting now. Just because he knows he wants to stay here, which yeah. again is not a great thing for everybody, because everyone who said that is not a Bruin anymore. But yes. uh, I, I, <laughs> that's the one bad thing. Yeah. Um. But at any rate, uh. We covered everything we had to cover. Um, actually, let's hit one more thing before before we finish here. Um, I was going to do a separate video on this for the YouTube channel, but we might as well hit on it here because I think Bruins fans are kind of curious about this. Um, Keith Yandel. Keith Yandel, obviously, is going through some uh, tough times with Florida management. Uh, almost didn't. The Ironman streak was almost broken, and then they were like, nah, you're going to play. He scores a goal. Of course. Um, great. Uh, but obviously, you know, everyone connects Keith Yandel right back to Boston and rightfully so he's from Milton. Um, so obviously he's a local guy. Should the Bruins go for him? I think we both have the same answer on this or well, kind of, but should they go for him? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, I love Keith Yandel's game. Uh, I think he's a great off ice guy. He'd be hilarious to just have, you know, I think people laud kind of how he is in the room. Uh, but I think you just kind of break down the, the hurdles with, with making a deal like that. Um, and it just seemed like there's too much for them to overcome. I mean, you, one, you got that contract, which is six, six point three five million a year. 6.35. Yeah. It's a lot to take on. Even if you switch some cash, like, do you want a guy who's 34, who has two more years after this year at that, at that hit on your, on your roster when you're either probably going to be looking to retool on the fly in a couple of years or you're looking to rebuild you want that contract kind of on on your books when you have to sign McAvoy and Kahlo and Pasternak and in 2022 a guy like Barkov becomes a free agent like do you throw a shit ton of money at him to keep this kind of team's window open like there's a lot of different things they can do. do yes you do you do which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but I did it in um, my franchise mode. It worked out great. My yes. Almost so, final, so, um, but when you, if you're doing any of things like that, you can't, uh, be in a spot where you're have a contract like Yandel's and, um, you know, I think for as much as Yandel's still a very, very good power play guy, uh, you look at his numbers outside of it and they're very, very ugly. Unfortunately, like five on five, even strength defensively, He's just, he's not, he's not up to par for what the Bruins need for a team like the Bruins who, you know, their identity is based on, you know, a structured defense. Ian doesn't really help you out there. Um, and considering, you know, they're still going to see what guy like Grizzly has or McAvoy, it's not like it's an area where like their power play is completely out of gas and you think it at rolling like they're, if Yandel that was, was one like, area they were great at this weekend. Yeah. If, if, you know, Yandel was kind of like a, a guy like even like Uyghur, who we talked about a few a few months ago, where he's a, a steady defensive guy, but also very good at five and five offensive generation. You look at him, be like, oh shit, okay. We will look at him, but Yandel doesn't really fit what what they need. And when you factor in the the money and a couple other things, it just doesn't seem like it's a good fit. That's the thing. It's like you need the the five on five offensive production. He doesn't really move the needle there. He moves the needle on power play points. Yeah. Um, and also the money. You know, if he's if he's taking up all that uh, 
if he's taking up a top four spot, potentially hurting the development of younger guys who might have higher ceilings five on five. Um, and again, the, the, the biggest thing is the money to me. Also, and so, also, yeah, I, I was going to say too, the, the fact that he's got a no movement clause, I believe that stays with him if he gets traded to Boston, which means if he then it's on the team for the expansion draft, you need to protect him. But if you have a no movement clause, you have to get protected. So if you get Yandel, you're losing Gorzlik, Kahlo, one of those guys. So it's another thing that factors into with that no movement clause. So you're going to lose yeah. another really good guy if you bring him in. This does not seem like the move for many teams, but especially the Boston Bruins. Yes. Um, but so I thought we'd kind of go into the Keith Yandel stuff there for a little bit because I think there are a lot of people who want Keith Yandel. And I get it. The numbers are great. The points are great. The surface level stuff from boss or from mass, you know, fun guy would be great for interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this, on the, you know, dive a little deeper. It's really probably not worth the Bruins time. Uh, that is today's Bruins beat. We covered absolutely everything. Fun to obviously have all these things to talk about, Connor. Uh, is there anything that you're working on at BSJ that people can look forward to? Yeah, we're just going to have the regular uh, day-to-day stuff covering the Bruins. We have a few uh, projects we're working on that we're hopefully we'll be rolling out in the next couple of weeks. Um, so you can follow all that over at bostonsportsjournal.com. Subscribe there. And you can follow me on Twitter at ConnorRyan underscore 93. Do all that. And for CLS Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You Bruinsby listeners have a great rest of your week.